For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, what's going on? We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. Welcome to another Britflix.com Fright Fest Preview Podcast. Today, I've got with me the writer of the fantastic survivalist film, Here Alone, David Eveltoft. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me, Stuart. It is my pleasure, as I've already waxed lyrical about, because I blooming love this film. So, so glad. So glad that you did. <laughs> it, makes, it makes talking about it so much easier, I can tell you. <laughs> That's true. That's true for both, for both parties. <laughs> so, do you want to tell people a brief synopsis as to what Here Alone is all about, please? Yeah, you bet. Um, Here Alone is uh, a dramatic um, horror thriller film, and um, it's obviously uh, we shot, and we're all from the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, it's about a young woman who struggles to survive on her own after a mysterious epidemic um, decimates society and um, turns a large part of the population into sort of these bloodthirsty infected creatures. And so it forces her into uh, the deep uh, wilderness. And um, so here she is having to survive on her own and uh, really not only battle this emotional, um, you know, weight and baggage of, of being by herself in this, you know, catastrophic post-apocalyptic landscape, but also having to deal with the, uh, the external threat, these, these infected creatures. And do you know what time and where it is playing at Frightfest? Yes, um, we are playing on Monday, August 29th. We're on the uh, Discovery Screen 2, and um, I believe that's in the afternoon. Um, 3.40 p.m. uh, is is when we're playing. Nice one, nice one. We'll remind people about that towards the end of the podcast as well. Um, So, as the writer, what in the world compelled you to come up with, to start this story? Where did it come from for you? Yeah, so um, myself and the director of Here Alone, a wonderful guy by the name of Rod Blackhurst, we um, tackled a lot of short films together. Right. And uh, about a year or two ago, wow, maybe three now, we we tackled a short film called Alone Time. And Alone Time was about, um, you know, this young woman that decides to escape you know, from the big city, from New York City, and take a camping trip. Mm. And needless to say, it's a short film. It's it's a sort of wonderful, um, you know, visual, um, refreshing escape from her city life. And then, of course, you know, shit goes down and bad things happen, and there's sort of this wonderful little thriller element to it. And it was one of those ideas that we did uh, because we just wanted to create something great, and we wanted to create something that looked wonderful and that had this great little story to it. And uh, as a writer, I just couldn't I couldn't shake it. I, I co-wrote the short film Alone Time with Rod, and um, 
And then once we were done with it, I just couldn't shake the idea that I really wanted to keep on working with the uh, concept of a woman by herself. Mm. And, and the more I worked on it, I sort of went through these different phases, you know, I mean, I went through the sort of, um, you know, the slasher type of uh, motif for a while. And I just sort of kept on escalating it until, of course, I got to the culmination of, well, let's put her in a completely ravaged post-apocalyptic world. So that was the that was the start of it. And then mixed into that, um, I, uh, my wife and I had a child during this time, and, and we've actually had you know, two children since this time. So I was going through, uh, I don't know if I'm sure a lot of your listeners have, have children. Mm. Um, you go through these emotional turmoils and these emotional um, upheavals, and it's it's the most wonderful thing, but then it's the most scariest thing you've ever dealt with. And so I started to sort of put that, um, you know, those elements in there and uh, started to ask myself, my God, what would happen? What would happen if I had children in these horrible circumstances? What would happen if my main character, this this woman, uh, would have to deal with, you know, the emotional, you know, bearings of, of having to take care of herself and this, you know, individual, this little tiny being that can't mm. take care of anything. So I think those are the two big, I mean, of course, throw in tons of, uh, wonderful inspirations in there, throwing me rewatching 28 days later, you know, 22 days later, you know, watching all that stuff um, over and over again. Uh, but those are the two big, um, the big inspirations behind it. I mean, I mean, not to be trite about it, it is, it is quite amazing the notion of the end of a consumerist society, the fact that you are that there's the notion that there is no. Um, shops anymore. I know that sounds really trite as a way of launching into your into your film, but when you're on your own and there are no shops, there is mm. just you and the wild, isn't there? Yeah, I mean <laughs> excuse me, and what I mean it's and it's not it's not a you know it's not a you know watered down notion at all. It's I mean man, I'd be really scared. And it's also it also goes to show us how a huge part of us are completely unprepared for this. And you see a lot of post-apocalyptic films where the main character or characters are prepared. Um, take The Walking Dead, for example, obvious choice, mm. an obvious example. I mean, you got a main character that's a sheriff, and he knows how to shoot guns, and he's able to find a duffel bag full of guns. <laughs> I mean, and I, believe me, I love that. I, I love that, and I love that a lot of other post-apocalyptic films have – you know, guys and gals that have massive military training. But what we tried to do is we really tried to say, all right, let's take that, let's take sort of the layman, the everyday person, and let's put them um, put them in this circumstance. Let's take away the shops that everybody's reliant upon. Let's take away everything from, you know, my gosh, where would you go? How, how would you be able to navigate the world without, you know, Google Maps or, or something like that? How, how would you get your compass? How would you get your directions outside of your everyday you know, experience in your everyday, um, you know, uh, what is it, everyday sort of like uh, routine. And so we really wanted to just strip all that away and and have this young woman, her name is Anne, I forgot to mention that, um, have her, you know, try to figure all this stuff out um, with very little support. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's the 80s film with Oliver Reed called Castaway. Oh, man, I have not seen it. I'm going to write this down. And in that film, he has the romantic notion that if he goes to a desert island with his mate, he can he can live the life of, you know, the man on the land. Mm. And, and he advertises in the newspaper and he gets someone and this beautiful woman goes with him. 
and then he discovers that he can't catch fish and he can't catch animals and, oh, and yeah. it just becomes a nightmare the idyll becomes a nightmare and it's that and I think a lot of, a lot of us have that in us I think Christ I've seen enough YouTube clips now of the 10 essential things to survive the apocalypse you're like going <laughs> you are frigging joking me that you think a, f a fucking bowie knife and a, and, and, a, and a first aid kit is all I need yeah, yeah. I mean, what you really need is you really need clean drinking water. <laughs> yeah, that's mis that's missing off of everybody's list. But uh, <laughs> but yes, you will look really really cool if you follow those top ten things. You will look like a badass in the post apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, where you've set it, which is that that kind of remote in the deepest kind of forest by a water mm -hmm. by a lake. Is that a place you're familiar with, or is that a place you learn while writing this? No, it is. It is. I'm really familiar with it. I. It's my backyard. Um, I live in the state of New York in the U.S., so most people are familiar with New York City. Obviously, go about four hours north and west of New York City, and you will find yourself in in my hometown, which is a small town called Corning, New York. And it's just, it's just. I, 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 can I? It, I've worked up there. That way. Are you serious? Hey, yeah, Steve, I, used, I worked in a children's camp up past Albany. Um, okay, little, yeah. A little, so, a little town called Long Lake was where I was. Long Lake. I'm not familiar with Long Lake, but you, I mean, so it's you tiny, know, tiny. You know the landscape. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. It's for your listeners. It's it's gorgeous. It's lush. Um, but you can step out of your back door and and walk five minutes and feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, mm. all you hear is. You know, birds chirping and and um, and sort of the lovely rustle of leaves. You know, when the wind blows. And um, so we shot it. We shot it in, in in New York, and it was really beneficial for me as a writer because um, you know we were very small budget and we needed to shoot. Um, we needed to you know we needed to be economic. So uh, it was really beneficial when I was writing uh, the script and, and talking you know, and bouncing ideas off of our director, Rod, uh, to not only be able to write the scene, but then to take a little writer's break and drive 10 minutes and then actually go and scout the scene that I'm trying to write. So it was, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and I don't think I, I am pretty positive. I'll never get that experience again as a screenwriter, but, mm. um, you know, for us to be able to craft this and to make it, you know, so, um, you know, so contained and so um, sort of streamlined, which is what we needed to do. So you could budget. literally say to your director, I was just imagining this tree here, and <laughs> just, just as you walk down to the lake... <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, I was, I was able. I was able to say, like, I was able to send him. You know, I sent him the script, and 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 as I'm sure you saw, Rod is uh, is, is a visionary genius, and he has this great translation. Um, you know, this great cinematic translation. That as a screenwriter, it's always really great to, you know, to have that and to have that trust within a director, somebody that really trusts the narrative, and then try, and, and vice versa, me trust his translation of it. And uh, it was really great for me to be able to go down and and, and snap. You know picks on my iPhone and texts to it right away and him to be like, Hey, you know, take two steps back. <laughs> take, take, really? another, take another, take another picture to the right, <laughs> take it to the left. Like, he's like, I see what you're going for, but it's not looking good at the moment. So, um, so yeah, it was really great. It was, it was, uh, and yeah, we sort of workshopped, we sort of workshopped the script, uh, with the locations at the same time, which is okay. sort of unheard of. So, so in terms of the story logic, then we've got two, we've got two important things, I suppose, which is why did the world go tits up? And the subsequent humans that that, that survive the 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 uh, that get the disease, as it were, right? And the rules attached to them. So how 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 did you go about sort of inventing that that provenance for yourself, as it were? Because obviously yeah. it doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't exist. And 
first off, uh, everybody on this side of the pond in the U.S. needs to use the word tits up more. I just want to put that out there. That's, that's, a, that's a great phrase. Uh, secondly, you know, we, we created a large uh, history to um, – how everything went wrong and how some people are able to, you know, be infected and not be infected. And we did play within a lot of the tropes, you know, that are already, that are already within the the genre because we are not necessarily, I mean, we call our, our folks infected. So we're really more of those 28 days later type of creatures instead of the sort of, you know, the Z word. Um, so and they are, and they are nippy like the ones in Twenty Eight Days as well. Aren't yeah, they? yeah, yeah. They have that sort of you know rabid, um, mm. bloodthirsty love. But the thing what we did is we created all of this uh, backstory and then we withheld it. And because um, as as you saw in the film, we didn't have these large explanation scenes. Mm. Um, and the reason why is that you know we just we just wanted to stay true to to the characters within the film and and our main character Anne. You know she has no outside link you know she can't google this stuff she can't hear you know the only radio broadcast she's really able to pick up on her small emergency radio is actually a french canadian broadcast and she doesn't you know she's not fluent in french Mm. and so so we wanted to withhold whatever she didn't know the viewer doesn't know and there's a point in the film where Anne encounters two other individuals which i'm sure we'll talk about in a second Mm. um a stepfather uh is fellow by the name chris and his um stepdaughter olivia and they bring just a tiny bit of information that tells the audience you know how it's how it can be virally you know virally transmitted and through blood and spit of the infected which is also you know fairly common within an infected um arena but we just didn't want to we just didn't want to overplay our hand and, and one of the things after we screened um we screened at tribeca in early may that was our our world premiere and uh I mean, we really got a lot of resonance from that because people were able to not only fill in um, their own ideas and their own answers, but they were also able to connect more with uh, the worrying situations that Anne has to go through. She just doesn't know, and she still has to fight it. You know, mm. she has to survive within it. She still can't. You know, you can't put all these pieces together. So, no, no, no. I, th- I think it's I think it's a wise move because obviously, a, a dystopian future might not have a full explanation. If, 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 right. you're, if you're surviving, then why you need to survive is not a question you ask yourself. Your, your, your question is, is, how do I survive? Oh, 100%. And, and, you know, and take away Google search. And that question, you know, is, is really hard. I mean, and how, how, do I, how do I, you know, how do I distill and how do I disinfect water? I mean, simple things like boiling, yes. But, you know, you, you reach, I mean, at least I believe, and this, this is just me, Speaking personally on on society as 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 of today, I mean we're so mm. reliant upon um, we're so reliant upon a Wi-Fi connection for so many of our answers, and and once we take that away, um, my hope is that a lot of us have the retention and the ideas um, of how to survive. But take that away, and 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 what do we truly know? So take away you know, broadcasts and, and news and, and everything take away the devices that stream those into our into our brains and uh, how how are we able to figure it out? There is there is a theory now called death by GPS. Ooh. Which is that sat navs are changing our brain. So Ooh, that whole that, that whole reliance, I mean I'm gonna play with it I think in the story sometime in the future, but it's that idea of um, of the fact that we're so reliant on what technology feeds us, we've stopped rationally thinking. So oh, the example yeah. is people driving into the sea because their sat nav told them to. Oh, yeah. 
Well, you heard it here first. Uh, Stuart has the uh, <laughs> you have the exclusive right to use that idea. That idea is brilliant. That idea is brilliant. Um, I and that stuff really. I mean, it, it creeps it creeps me out, but I'm so intrigued by it at the same time. It is a morbid curiosity because I, hu- I catch humans, myself doing. I was going to say, we as humans react differently than technology wants us to do, and that's the that's the thing underneath all this. If you look at the the, the birth of technology, it grows, but not everything is successful because some of it humans just go. We're not interested. Mm-hmm. We introduced something like text messaging, which was a, a kind of afterthought, and look at us now. Text messaging yeah. is like, you know, Twitter, the lot. But anyway, I digress. Um, so for you, um, before we talk about specifics on it, one thing that grabbed me about your film, and obviously it's the title here alone, is how do you set about writing drama where you've only got the one person? Because that's that's what's really fascinating about the the opening sort of first act half of the film is that you are ostensibly giving us one person's point of view of not being with anybody really. Right. You know, and it was. I think. I think that was. I mean, there was there was two really tricky parts to writing the script, um, and that was definitely my first hurdle. Um, I, I don't know if I have a true solid answer to to how to do it, but how I went about um, trying to accomplish it was really putting myself within, you know, boxing myself up and, and really saying, okay, all I have to deal with is, is myself and I have no true escape and, and I have nobody to talk to and I have, you know, I've, I've, I've nothing. And all I have is my, you know, my emotional capacity and my emotional, um, my emotional past. All I know is how I've dealt with stuff in the past and so that's how I'm able to deal with it with the future, hmm. and and then really translate it into this uh, character Anne. And what we did was um, when uh, Anne is played by this wonderful actress named Lucy Walters, and hmm. Lucy came in, and, and I think she really she not only really owned the character, but she really was able to translate um, what she did in the past and how she was sort of a stoic. Um, you know, a stoic female where she was, she, she, she internalized a lot. She wasn't an external, um, yell and, 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 and go crazy and go emotional. I mean, she, she really bottled everything up and that's how she bottled everything up before the epidemic. And that's how it translated it into, you know, the first half of the script. So when she does have to emote those emotions, even though they're small, because you see five minutes where she's bottling it all up, bottling it all up, bottling it all up. And then there's just one little, you know, one little tear or one little, um, you know, exclamation of anger. Those become huge. And so we tried to, you know, really pepper in these small emotional releases that became much bigger because you saw her as such a um, controlled person for the previous five minutes. It, it, was, it was a very similar performance to um, Brie Larson in The Room, really, I think. Oh, oh I'm going to uh, tell Lucy that. Yes, I, I, I yeah, she, she handled it so well. And, mm. I mean, my goodness. And, and you're right, The Room is absolutely brilliant. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very flattered by that comparison. Well, I think because, uh, the word stoic is, is, a, is a good word because... It isn't something that we're naturally we're natural. There's generations before us who survived the Second World War and lived through real austerity because it was the post Second World War that mm. know what stoicism is all about because you just got on with it. We live we're a generation that have not to want for anything, you know, and we we just you know like we we live in the we live in the maximum consumer society that ever was. You know mm. what I mean? And and mm. to be to be returned back to that, then then there is a stoicism of. Gritting your teeth, getting on with it, and making do. You know, it's like, and that's how. I mean, as a as a character, 
that's there's not a lot to go on there because you are just in the shit. So it's the kind of right. it's the sense of being that you that she puts across really well. Yeah, yeah, she was really able to fill in. You know, I mean, there's so many beautiful white spaces on a on a script. And, um, I mean, that's really where I think a lot of, of where Anne, the character, came to life. And uh, that's where Lucy's talents and her mm. dedication and her interpretation of the character, that's really where um, it was able to just sort of leap off the page. Not to for, use a for, tried for the, and true. For the, for the audience, for the audience listening, two films sprung to mind for me. Uh, one, one that was obviously the other one, but one specifically because of the way you structured it. You, you told us a story which was in the present and then dripped us through through her remembering what what was once happening and how she's got to where she is mm-hmm. which is i don't know if you've seen the austrian film the wall no, i have not from um, 2012 i think it is i mean it's dewand yeah. in in german but that's about a woman who finds herself trapped on a on, in, in a lodge by an mm-hmm. invisible wall she just gets up in the morning and there's a wall stopping her get down the path and she's just trapped and yet mm-hmm. she can see beyond the wall but she can't get beyond it, and it's just this magical film, which is not like nothing I've ever seen. But it 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 does like it like you've done. It tells us a story which keeps keep which keeps us in a future, but then goes back and shows us how the future got to where it is. Right. Um, and then the one we talked about before we started recording, which is the uh, this year uh, the the survivalist. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Finkelson's, which um, I've interviewed, and there'll be a podcast with him out in September. Um, now, the one thing that made me laugh when I was writing my review up for the film was that if you look at the survivalist and you look at here alone as two comparables, there's also a battle of the sexes. Right, right. Because, right. I don't know if you spotted this, but but in 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 the survivalist, he is not welcoming, he is not trusting, he doesn't want anything, and he has to be bribed to let people into his life. Right. In, in here alone, we have a woman who's on her own. And her immediate instinct is, is, and it feels true. It doesn't feel like there's just some sort that they're just opposites. It just felt true that as a woman, she felt trusting and willing to let them come in and share her. So in The Survivalist, the character says, you know, I've only got enough food for me, piss off. Right. Whereas, whereas, um, she <laughs> whereas, wants to help, yeah. Whereas Anne feels that she needs to help. And I'm guessing from Anne's point of view, it's contact with other people. So that's the other two people that you mentioned before that come in and then make a kind of, triumphant of people then mm-hmm. trapped and then the drama really does sort of come into its own as we we sort of then remain focused on what do we do now right yeah and you know the, the uh i feel bad that i haven't seen the wall but once again i'm going to write that one down you're already interested introducing me to two wonderful films here um so the survivalist you know it was one of those things i we didn't we didn't have access to it here over to in the states other than on the festival circuit mm-hmm. um until after our film played and uh, and I remember watching it, and you know, you always get that first rush of like, oh my gosh, that's amazing! Like this is this is amazing. I mean, it's so it's so so stripped down, and yeah, it's truly it's truly his attempt to trust people um, after civilization. And um, with our film, you know, I wanted to come from a point, and there's a very 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 small backstory to Anne, and it's it, it might be missed on the first viewing, but she's she's a nurse. That's her. That was what she did in her old life. Right. And, um, you know, nurses are so, uh, I mean, man, that's, that's what they do. That is their life. They live for it. They live to help. And, um, and, and also with this sort of idea of a young girl coming into her, into her life, um, you know, she has, she does have a soft spot in her heart for anybody that, that is young. And, and it, it was one of those, uh, 
I did mention there was two parts to the film that I had trouble with the hurdles with. And the first was we already talked about that was the second was to really, is the trust going to, is it going to be, um, are people just going to felt like it was fed to them or is it going to be earned? And I'm, mm. I'm happy that I'm happy that you felt it was earned. Cause we, we tried really hard to have that trust, you know, um, come I, through fine. Well, I think, I think you, you set yourself a nice triangle, which is a stepfather and stepdaughter as opposed mm. to blood relatives. So the common thing they both have is the person they love is dead. Right. When right. they arrive. And obviously then that means that, that, um, that Anne is then forming, Arguably, a relationship with two people that are separate, even though they come as a package. If it had been true father daughter, you'd have had so much bias with that relationship as opposed to a stepdaughter stepfather relationship. I feel. I, I think you're right, and you know the stepfather stepdaughter relationship with with all the relationships within the film. You were mentioning how we really like to you know, do a lot of flashbacks in here alone. And, and we did, we did tell a backstory through these flashbacks. And, and the other thing we wanted to do was we wanted to give um, a more accurate account of people's emotions going into the post-apocalypse. I feel like a lot of films bring in people that had this wonderful life beforehand and then that wonderful life is ruined. Mm. But there's a, there's a lot of really, um, <laughs> there's a lot of really tough times for all of us. So what we did with our main character, Anne, she had sort of a tumultuous relationship with her, with her husband, uh, Jason, who we see in the, in the flashback. So she has a slightly sour relationship with her husband, and then they have to go into the post-apocalypse. Mm. And same with, um, you know, same with uh, Chris and Olivia, the step, stepdad and the stepdaughter. They had a, a learning relationship. They were learning who each other were. And you, you know, you don't have the typical, you know, father daughter relationship where the daughter knows this guy for her whole life. This guy just came into her life later on. And so, it, you know, we wanted to try to reflect these, uh, I guess, real life relationships going in instead of these um, idealized relationships. What, what was, um, when you sort of got that first draft done and you've, you've, you've kind of got it all laid out and you're talking, to your director about it. Um, what what then going forward was the hardest challenge storytelling challenge for you to resolve as you th- then began to rewrite what you'd started? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, we, you know, we always had. I think. I mean, I think story wise, the the thing that I did in the in the in the uh, original um, drafts was I tried to. Um, I tried to make it a little bit happier ending. No, no spoilers for a lot of people who haven't seen the film already, but I, I wanted to, you know, I was, I always had this urge to try to be like, well, the audience isn't going to like us if it's not a, like, not slightly wrapped up. We, what we really wanted to try to do with the ending was we wanted to um, have, you know, either something that was wrapped up into sort of a, a, a more um, positive package or, yeah. or leave it with this emotional gut punch. And, and I'm really happy that, um, that not only Rod, our director, and, and some of the people that we brainstormed um, the, the script with um, really wanted us to, to uh, you know, that's what they felt the, the best was, the most emotional connection was just leaving it with this sucker punch at the end. And, um, and so luckily that informed the rest of the, of the script. Um, once we got that sucker punch, we sort of tracked back and, and made sure all of the you know, previous dialogue and previous scenes really helped um, not only hint to it, but just really build up to it. It's funny, isn't it, how, I mean, I don't think novels work the same way, but screenplays, for sure, if, you've, if you're really happy with how you end, then everything else is like, just, is, is like moving furniture around, isn't it? In a I mean, way. In, in a way it is, yeah. I don't I mean, mean to make it sound too simplistic, but 
But to... No, no, but I mean, yeah, you're a screenwriter. You, you know, you know the tricks where sometimes, yeah, it's either moving furniture or, or house of cards where, um, yeah, you do sort of need to, to shore stuff up, shore stuff up and sort of, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that painting just doesn't look right over the over the couch if the couch isn't centered on the wall, you know. And <laughs> and, and a lot of times you won't know it's not centered on the wall until you get to that end scene and and sort of track your way back or um, or really try to you know yeah get in there and get dirty. So so moving furniture is not a bad analogy because you get, you sweat you sweat a lot and it and it breaks your back even though you're at a desk all day. Break, breaks your heart to be honest with you. <laughs> oh man, you, you got that right. <laughs> So, so how how involved was you with the with then taking it into production, as it were? Was you, was you uh, like... Yeah, like I, I also produced the film, and so oh, okay, I, sorry. I, yeah, no, that's quite right. I um, so it was really it was really beneficial. What what Rod and I did, we had um, we had some other projects that went into development. But anybody that knows anybody in the film industry knows that's just sort of a gray hell. Um, and, and we, we got a little sick of, of, of some of the more tried and true systems. So we both went to each other and said, Hey, let's try to do this by ourselves. So we took this from concept all the way to okay. distribution. And so I, yeah, I was, exactly I was, what I wanted to hear. So yeah. in that sense, then, um, when you were going into that pre-production stage, which aspects of the screenplay going into the shoot seemed the most insurmountable? Oh, the most challenging. Well, I mean, we, we were... I guess the most the most insurmountable were you know we shot we shot in we shot two times yeah um, so we we were really low budget but we said to ourselves listen you know the the quality of the film and and just sort of the um, you know, just the overall look is going to be really benefited if we shoot once in the summer for the main storyline and then once in the winter, you know, for the uh, flashback scenes. Okay. So that, that was really tricky because of, of actor schedules. Um, our main actress, we had to do a lot of, of <laughs> a lot of uh, dancing around her, mm. um, her television schedule to try to get those flashbacks um, shot. That was tough. And, and yeah, I mean, some of the special effects, even though we're not, you know, we're not Wormwood, we're not this crazy um, blood and gore and exploding heads everywhere. That's not that's not our film. But but we did a lot of practical effects, and and those were those were tricky. Even no matter what your budget, no matter whether there's a little blood or a lot of blood. So yeah, those two those two parts were tough. And, and I'm guessing then the locations were they pretty easy to secure, or was that thing you needed full permission and that to pay for? No. Um, the great thing about uh, shooting in my backyard was that yeah, I mean. We're in a town that's so small that when you ask, you know, you say, hey, does this town have any shooting permits? And they just give you the, you know, most confused look ever. And they're like, well, no, I told you you could shoot here. Just go and shoot here. So um, so we didn't have to we didn't have to spend a dime. I mean, we did, you know, for the houses and for different we did pay people for their property. But uh, <laughs> but other than that, it was just like, well, sure. Yeah, go ahead and shoot. And everybody thought we were just going to come in with our, you know, with our DV cams. You know, nobody knew what to expect and then we came in with the trucks and, and and they were really they were really bowled over i mean that i mean essentially that was um thingy Jer- jerry saulnier's story about making blue ruin he said he just went basically back to where he's from where he knew yeah. he, where he knew he could pull that kind of favor and and understand the machinations of getting things done yeah and i mean you know blue ruin and it was was definitely a, a large inspiration for this film not only um you know visually and tonally but um yeah also we followed him closely because we're like wow that's a great idea we should just <laughs> we should just well, like why bother why why go to new york city and try it when you can do it you know somewhere else for a lot less and a lot you know simpler so 
Well, without giving without giving too much away, do you want to? I mean, as you should add, are you are you going to be coming over for the for the premiere at breakfast? Oh, man, I really wish we could. We unfortunately, all three of us um, on the producing team and Rod, director, and myself were unable to make it due to other other sets and other schedules. So we feel horrible, but uh, we'd love to come over. But okay, we're just not going to we'll, be able well, to make it. Imagine this then: if I'm your GoPro filming filming the audience as they watch the film, um, so you can see this back later. What what are you most excited for for the audience to see or experience with uh, here alone? I I'm really excited for, I mean we are a different take on on this sort of infected zombie genre. We really you know we really went for a little bit more of a dramatic, um, and we went for more of a character relationship versus a um, you know flee slash fight uh, the infected relationship. So. I'm curious because Fright Fest is such a, you know, such a horror, you know, such an iconic horror festival. And, and I, I think it's moving away from, from the horror idea as of late. But, you know, we don't have off the top 22 kills. You know, we're not Hatchet and we're not, you know, these other amazing films that, that, have, that have shown there. Have you, um, have, you, have you seen Man Underground? I haven't yet. I mean, that's, that's Fright Fest this year. And that's, your, your, yours is a hardcore horror film in comparison to that one. Okay. Uh, okay. Good. <laughs> um, there is, there is. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the strapline for Fright Now is the dark heart of cinema, whereas right. it, it right. used to be the home of horror. And I think yeah. they appreciate that there's films like yourselves and going, you know, to that. And then last year you have films like um, They Look Like People. Yeah, great um, film. Yeah, which is you know about mental health really. Right. Or, right. So, or, or uh, Riley, Stern, Riley Stern's Faults a couple of years sure. ago. Sure. Yeah. So I think I think we're sort of looking for, to give people a you know great little uh, you know dramatic, dramatic respite from from some of the other from some of the other gore and and, and chills, and um, and I think we've always felt that you know some of the some of the genre films that are out there, um, you know the vamp the vampiric genre sort of had these great little you know dramatic interpretations with um, Let the Right One In and now the Neon Demon and you know these different films and I sort of feel like the zombie slash infected genre hasn't had that yet they've had the great comedic um, interpretations you know with uh, Shaun of the Dead and with um, um, you know what is it Zombieland and all that fun stuff but I, I feel like it hasn't been treated within a with a dramatic lens and that sort of a magnifying glass on character for yeah, a yeah. I mean I guess I guess I guess Arnold Schwarzenegger's Maggie goes some way to that if you've seen yeah, that's that true. that's true yeah but yeah. I would what I would say for those listening I mean I've seen Maggie Maggie's a very a very slow paced film and I think that's the last thing I would use to describe here alone it is far from oh, slow paced at all it's, it's it there is there is always the sense of the rise in action because of because of the isolation the introduction of people the dis- and then the learning of what is the infected people as it were all the while you're <clears throat> you're learning as as um as Anne goes off to discover it, as, as right. goes on her adventures of what is essentially how to survive when you're on your own. Right, right, right. So, so let's let's remind myself. people then. When when can they see the film? Yeah, um, uh, Discovery Screen Two, August 29th at uh, 3:40 in the PM. So 15:40, I think, for the uh, world clock. Indeed, indeed. Now, look, one last question for you, as with Britflix. Um, if you could uh, either tell us your favourite British horror film or recommend us a a British horror film that you think is underrated and deserves more kudos? Well, I mean, I, I can't go wrong with Under the Skin. Um, mm. 
I, I saw that uh, just a little while ago and, and uh, Jonathan Glazer's uh, flick. And, and we, were, we were talking about it just, just briefly before, um, before broadcasting here. And, and you mentioned it was a wonderful book, which I have not yet read. But, um, but man, uh, gosh, Seducing Lonely Men. <laughs> it's kind yeah, of, yeah. I mean, how, how can you go wrong? <laughs> basically, what he did with the film is, because in the book it's about an industrial complex almost. Of, of aliens mm. sort of taking over and, and shipping humans out, whereas obviously Under the Skin reduces it to a single alien, mm. which is kind of, you know, it makes it intimate as opposed to catastrophic. Because the film doesn't really allude to the fact there's loads of Scarlett Johansson's knocking about. Right, 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 right. But it's, um, so it's kind of, the drama is just in the sense of what the hell is going on, almost like, I think it's almost like a bad LSD trip. You know, it's sort of, especially when you think of, like, the fantastical sort of water and tar kind of world you end up in before you can shoot. Hmm. Um, I mean, brilliant. It is indeed. It is indeed. Well, look, um, for those that aren't at Fright Fest or, or don't get a chance to catch your movie, when, is there, is there, a, is there any release date in the, in the offing or are you... Are you still we, in that? we just we just announced. I mean, we were just picked up by um, Vertical Entertainment um, Distribution Company, and we will have a global release. Um, but Congratulations! Actual, yes, thank you, thank you. We're really really excited for that, and that just happened a few weeks ago. So the actual release details and whether it's going to be a global drop or a digital drop or, or all that stuff is still being worked out. Um, but obviously, you can check us out on on, on Facebook. Um, we're here alone film on Facebook. We're here alone film on Twitter and our website is here alone film.com. We'll be, uh, you know, posting updates as to when people can see it around the globe, when it, when it occurs. Brilliant. Well, look, make sure you remind us and then we'll, uh, we'll recycle the podcast with the new release. I'll update the show notes with release dates and stuff. We'll do that. We'll do that. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Thanks to us. Enjoyable. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes. Hey, what's, what's going on? If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we release it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to stream from on the website. This has been a Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.